Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello and welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and today I have an incredibly special guest because she is a friend of mine who I have known since we were in kindergarten and we grew up together, Rachel Simmons, who is also a New York Times bestselling author of Odd Girl Out, Curse of the Good Girl, and Enough As She Is, How to Help Girls Move Beyond Impossible Standards of Success to Live Healthy, Happy, and Fulfilling Lives. Rachel, you probably have read in the New York Times. She is often writing for the Washington Post, the Atlantic, Slate. She's a regular contributor to Good Morning America, and she is incredible. And we're going to have many conversations about girls. But today, we are fully focused on the controversial subject of when your child is ready for a phone, how to know, what signs to look for. And we're going to talk about social media and boundaries around all of those things. So I hope you enjoy. And remember, I'm still trying different formats out. So I'd love your feedback on tone and format. And don't forget to stick around for show notes. And so I can let you know what's going on next Friday. What we felt like talking about today is something that just comes up constantly. And it comes up way earlier than anybody would have expected. Everything from chats in lower school that are happening, uh, we're going to get into that, to full-blown social media use. Of the social media usage. (laughs) And when you have a, when you get a phone, we're really talking about that kind of communication. You know, a lot of the decisions that we have to make about our children are related to their temperament. No, I have such a vivid memory of my elementary school report cards. There was always an item that said shows growth in self-control. <laughs> Seriously? And my note had it. Yeah, you don't remember? We I went to the read, same school. I, I know, but I know. <laughs> yours, probably right. had a, yours probably had a plus sign next to it, which was like the equivalent of an A. Mine always had a minus sign <laughs> next to it, which was the equivalent of an F. So I happened to take this self-regulation stuff quite personally. It's so, we, we should probably mention that we grew up together. I'm sorry. I've known Aliza since kindergarten. Yeah. And we, we want to go through where girls are in this. Let's start with elementary school because I think we can assume, although let's just say your adult behavior with social media and your phone in general and how you interact with it from the time that you have your child will have an influence on kind of what they, how they view the phone. If you, if they grew up before they knew about social media, before they knew about anything, but you were always having them pose and saying, let's post and looking through your Instagram with them when they were three, that's going to feel different than someone who grew up with a mom who wasn't 
really paying attention to that and their phone was away, which is not to say there is no judgment here. It's just, of course, you're going to have a different attitude about it. It sounded like there was judgment, didn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I think we all have to take seriously that what we do with our phones will be schooling our kids and what they might be doing with their phones. I mean, it's no different than our kids mimic what we say and they mimic how we respond to certain situations and they mimic our habits of eating and sleeping and they're going to mimic our habits of how we use our technology. So I think the example that we said does really matter. I mean, if you want a child who is able to regulate their use of a phone and you have your hands on a phone 25 hours a day, that's kind of tough and probably sending a mixed message there. So our example is always going to be the most important lesson that we teach. I have always had my phone off limits to my kids because I knew they were going to grow up and be able to read and I didn't want them reading my emails and texts. Part of it is also just the work that I do. I just thought, oh my God, this could be horrible for them to see anything. Um, So they never were allowed to grab my phone or touch my phone and that is always the case. But I think if you don't start that at a young age and they always have access to it, that it's really hard to then pull it back. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think you're also teaching respect for privacy, Mm -hmm. right? So like when my daughter sometimes who can't control herself at seven grabs my phone or if I'm trying to take the phone, pushes her hand up and pushes me away, you know, that's occasion to stop and talk about it, which is, you know, this belongs to me and you need to respect that it's mine and this is private and privacy means that it's mine to look at and it's mine to share, but it's not yours to take from me. So teaching privacy is a really critical part of preparing a kid to use social media and it's never too early to start talking about it. So lots of people wait to give their kids phones, but they give them access to an iPad or something where they can have a group chat in elementary school. Sure. Yeah. Group texts are definitely one of the first kind of gateways. When we're thinking about, you know, onboarding our kids to tech, part of the work involved, the scope of work, as it were, is going to be your time spent teaching, monitoring, debriefing, and really baking those processes into the onboarding, right? So in other words, your kid begins to understand that they're not going to gain access to a new app unless you're involved with basically monitoring what they're doing on it. So that's going to be the first and most important consideration. And then, of course, once you're prepared and on board, then you've got to think about, is your kid ready? And the thing that I really advise, I mean, really important for every parent to understand, you're never going to be given some magical gift of like the age that your child is now ready to use a phone or a particular app or whatever it is. Like there is no universal answer or kind of one answer for everyone. What the, what the question is, is how do we know if your child is ready? Well, you think about what are the skills your kids need in order to thrive, be safe and use the app as it's been intended to be used. So for example, let's take something like Instagram. Instagram probably, let's, let's you and me brainstorm, Lisa, the skills that a kid needs in order to be, to thrive safely and happily on Instagram. So one thing you need is you need to have judgment. You need to be able to know what's an appropriate picture and what's not. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to think what will, how might someone perceive this and how might it make them feel? And might it be different than I intended? Right. And then I think you also probably need some understanding that social media is not an appropriate place to start a conflict or even resolve a conflict, (laughs) end a friendship. Mm -hmm. That's not an appropriate space to do it. And that if you do tend to have 
as one does, you know, difficult feelings or antagonism towards a peer, that that platform, that that site, Instagram, is not the place to negotiate that. Mm-hmm. I think self-control is obviously a critical part of all of those other – that that's sort of an umbrella to all of the aforementioned skills because if you can't inhibit your little fingers from posting something or writing something or you have an emotional reaction, natural emotional reaction to something that you see and you don't know how to um, manage it, then it can have way too big of an impact on you. You know, listeners might be thinking, well, how do I know if my kid has those skills? And so then the next question is, what do those skills look like Mm. kind of in the equivalent sense offline? So if we're talking about self-regulation emotionally, you know, how well does your child regulate their emotions with their peers, Mm -hmm. with their sibling? I mean, although sibling is probably a terrible Sibling is an opportunity to get really out of control and practice. Let me delete that that comment because I was like a savage with my brother. So yeah, (laughs) I wouldn't wouldn't put that up there. But like, how does your child navigate self-control emotionally in the classroom with their friends? If you have a kid who tends to be really explosive or who tends to start fights with other kids or who has trouble apologizing when she gets in conflict, like those are all flags that suggest that if you were to put them on Instagram, which is again a place where, and, and we really can set this up as part of the frame here, it's a, it's a place where girls can now have conflicts without ever having to see each other or hear each other's tone of voice, which means it's going to really exacerbate some of the drama so it really makes it make, kind of begs the question, is my child really ready for that? Am I ready to monitor that? Am I ready for the consequences of what might happen if she does kind of fly off the handle? So these are the considerations that we all need to be having and making around this question of like, when's my child eligible slash ready? Mm-hmm. And being open with them about practicing, exercising those muscles so that they can be ready. You're not giving keys to, you know, you're not giving the keys to the car without driver's ed. You're not giving access to these things without building up to it. Otherwise, you get, I think, very sneaky kids who figure things out like having another friend create their Instagram account and post things on their behalf because their parents aren't letting them. And other, you know, other ways that kids can work around these systems. But if you have an open, respectful discussion about it and they understand where you're coming from, you can reassure them that you know they're going to get there. We're not pretending that this isn't something that everybody's going to end up using and it's just all awful. It's just they need to be ready for it like everything else. Yeah, and let's also point out too that parents need to make space for the fact that kids are going to make mistakes online. Like Mm -hmm. they are learning a new skill. And that means they're going to screw up. Just like when they learn math, they screw up at math or they learn, you know, like, and so I think one of the disservices we've done in internet and technology education for parents is that we've kind of made everyone paranoid. Like, oh, if your kid posts something that they wouldn't want their grandmother to see, (laughs) right, like they're exactly like they're the world's going to end like rather or in contrast, like we have to expect that our children are going to flounder because that is what happens as you learn. And so we need to be ready for that. And and rather than say like the world's going to end if you make the wrong step, instead it's you can come and talk to me no matter what. Like I'm here for you and we're going to work on it together. And might I be angry at some point? Sure. But that's not going to be my first response. Like I want you to come to me no matter what. 
you know, what you just said is so important and it goes to teaching them to fail well. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I agree that you have to be really careful not to be so judgmental and restrictive that your kid just ends up going and doing something behind your back. So, so I think, I think what you're saying to your kid is, listen, I'm super happy that you want to do this and I'm really excited to give you the access. And it's my job as your parent to make sure that you make safe, smart choices online. And since you're just starting out, I'm going to be pretty closely involved in what's going on. And that doesn't mean that I don't trust you. It just means that you're learning something new. And also like, I don't always trust the world, which is kind of what our parents said to us when they were like, Hey, I understand you want to drive the car past midnight. It's not that I don't trust you. I don't trust the world. So, you know, those are some of the ways we need to be talking to them. So it's not in contrast, we're not being like, I've got to watch you because the world is a horrible place (laughs) and you're going to be kidnapped by weird molesters. Like, it's not like that. It's like, hey, you're learning something new. Sorry, was that no, was that no, no, no. I mean, I I don't know where that came from, but it's <laughs> no, I think it's true. To represent the dark, rep- the dark view. But but I think you're you're very right, and and all all we do when we get that extreme is alienate kids. This is the world. We have to either join them or expect that they'll figure out a way around it. The longer you can delay, the better. Like. I don't think there's much of an argument to be made for like, yeah, let me give my third grader a phone or like, let me push my third grader to start texting. Like if you're getting really pushed to get your kid online and you feel like, all right, like I really have to give in. Okay. But if you feel like you can hold out another year, it it can only help your Mm -hmm. child Mm -hmm. if you give her a little bit more time to grow before you're giving her access to that. If you decide you need to, and let me also just interject here that in my experience, the girls who are most obsessed with access, early access, who are like, I really want to text, I really want to do these things, those are the girls who most need your supervision. I think there's a direct <laughs> totally. relationship there, right? It's like the ones who are like, whatever, I don't really care. Like, You probably could let them, them, right? Yeah, like they're really, exactly. You can give them a phone. They like don't care because they're not, they're not as compelled by it. They're mm-hmm. not as seduced. They're not as like in sway of their friends who they might be trying to impress or they're not as, you know, invested in attention and the likes. So again, you know, if your kid is really jonesing hard and won't let it go, that's a clue look for at you. That. And take the, take the, you know, pay attention to that signal. I, I think that's a really important point. If you do have a child where you're, you feel like you're not ready for them to be doing that and they are probably not ready and it's generally too early and they have excessive interest, that is a great time to have a talk with them about why that feels important to them so that they can tell that you're listening and that you hear them, but maybe have those conversations and push 100%. It Absolutely. I mean, here's the thing. If you adopt a posture of social media and technology are dangerous and they're destroying civilization <laughs> and young people's social skills and it's really the end of days and you know, only the cockroaches will survive after Facebook kind of a thing. I guarantee you, your kid will gradually stop talking to you about it because they're going to get really, they're going to develop a much more complex, rich, and like, frankly, you know, happy relationship to technology and social media while you're like Debbie Downer over there. Yeah. And so just, you need to take your Debbie Downer stuff and put it somewhere else, but do not use that as like your primary form of connection with your kid, or they're just going to like really shut down. Yeah, they're going to bounce. They're not going to be interested. You know, it's it's funny because they're not even that awful. The stuff that happens on the phone with kids pretty much mimics what's happening in real life. So it's really awful for kids who are struggling in real life. 
it's less awful, if not neutral to positive for kids who are thriving in their relationships. So that's something just to keep in mind, not because we're saying it's so awesome, social media is the best, but it's just not the end of days. It's just push it off. And just to put a little bit of a finer point on on Elisa's point, I think what you're saying is, for example, if you have a child who's like, mom, dad, this is a way for me to make friends because like I have a hard time making friends in school, but this would be a way for me to talk to people. Now, this is actually true with respect to kids on the spectrum. I've spoken to a lot of parents of kids on the spectrum who've said, you know what, social media has actually given my kids a way to make friends that, you know, I didn't, wouldn't have anticipated they could do. That being said, I think for the kids who are really struggling socially, they will have probably as hard of a time online or be vulnerable to kind of, Mm -hmm. um, a kind of earnestness and attention seeking status seeking behaviors. So as Elise is pointing out, if you're socially happy offline, you're probably going to be socially happy online. That doesn't mean that you don't need to tell your kids how to use social media. Well, it's not like leave some food and water outside the door now and they're fine. (laughs) Like you have to still be a really, you know, be a partner to them, be a guide. Um, but there is a lot of correlation. And I also want to add to this that kind of continue this point along. There isn't that much of a difference between online and offline. You know, the parents who do the best um, at coaching their kids to use social media well are the ones who don't look at it as like having fundamentally changed and transformed our lives. In other words, people who say everything was so different before social media, like sure, in some ways things were different, but actually what scholars of social media have, have shown is that what social media has done is two things. One is it's taken things that used to be private and made them public. So like you didn't know what your friends were doing after school. When, when I was growing up, I had no idea, Aliza, what you did after school. I, I vaguely knew you <laughs> danced for a while, right? Like, <laughs> but I didn't like see pictures of you like right. on point. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't know, but now they can see everything that their friends are doing. Mm-hmm. And that's, that has been a big change. Has that introduced feelings that didn't exist before? Has that, you know, did kids never feel left out before? And now they feel left out when they're on Instagram? Of course not. Like, what it's done is it's it's exacerbated the things that were already there. And that's the right attitude to take as a parent who's introducing your kid. It's not, oh my God, this is so new and I don't know what's happening and I'm really scared and I'm unfamiliar. That's really going to shoot you in the foot. Like it's just taking the stuff that kids have always dealt with and made some of them more keenly felt. That is beautifully said. I have some social media questions for you from parents. Is it okay that I don't want my daughter to use screens on a play date? What if other parents don't monitor screens as closely as I do? Those are two very unrelated but important questions, but you can wing it. Well, I think they're related because if you do send your child over to a house where a kid has much more access to to a device and you are much more restricted, then, you know, that that actually is going to become an issue. So I think it's absolutely okay not to want your daughter to use screens on a play date. Um, The question is, how do you navigate that kind of a dicey ask without seeming, you know, judgmental or demanding high maintenance, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Like I know for me, that would be really challenging. Like, or that, that insecurity would be there for me. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about, uh, first of all, let's talk about why you have the right to ask. You know, 
you screens are a pretty significant kind of step or rite of passage in a kid's life. And if your kid is not there yet using screens in that way, like I think it's completely fair to ask a parent who's hosting your child, just in the way you might say to the parent, like, can you make sure that they don't eat a certain thing because they're allergic to it? Or, you know, my child has not watched an R rated movie yet. So it's really important to me that they don't see that yet. Like, when you send your child over to a house, you're entitled to say, I just want to let you know that here are some things my child's not doing yet, or here are some things we're not, she's not ready for. So I think you, that's part of the process of like engaging with another family and letting your family mind your child, especially when they're younger. Um, how do you do it? I would, if it were me, probably say something to the effect of, Hey, I don't mean to like make assumptions about, what goes on at your house. I really have no idea, but I just wanted to double check with you that it would be okay if the kids weren't on screens during the play date, because, you know, my child really just isn't ready for that. And I think she would do best on a play date, just, you know, not using, not using a screen, not using a device. Like she's going to be the best play date for your daughter if she's doing the things that are most familiar to her. She's just not ready for that yet. So I had a group who, told me a story about one of their one or two of their boys just coincidentally were over at a friend's house and there was no monitoring of using screens and there were no there was no parental blocks on anything and nobody had talked to anybody about what to do if you see something that you really don't want to see and it feels like you might have bad images in your mind or scared or whatever so nobody was prepared for the parent who doesn't monitor the screens, but they had a play date with them. And in this particular case, they Googled Harry Potter and Hermione and... Sorry, it's not funny, but I can only imagine. Yeah, Harry Potter was getting a blowjob. Yeah. They were in second grade. It didn't go over well. It opened up a conversation of if you're if you're going to expose your kids to, to the big worlds where there may not be parental monitoring, they need to, the poor things need tools. Like they need to know to put their hands over their eyes before they make a decision about seeing something. If it, if it smells of something that's going to scar them or, you know, cause hearing something is never as bad as seeing it in your memory. Although I'm sure hearing that was also fairly scarring, but what do you do? Cause that happens all the time. So you can have all the monitors you want at home, but if you're sending someone to someone's house, would you ask them? Just checking. Do you have, you know, any restrictions on screens? That could be really awkward. Um, I'm not I sure say, I would I ever mean, ask. I think I would something like, hey, do you expect the kids to be on, on screens during the play date? And just let the parent say it. Let the parent explain what they're expecting. And usually that's a cue for a parent to be like, oh, probably not. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and actually, you know, maybe it's going to be playing a video game. And I really think that, again, if you can sort of say, if you can preface what you're saying with a little bit of self-deprecating humor, like don't mean to be high maintenance, but I just needed to check because my kid's still in a pretty innocent space around screens and doesn't have a lot of tools and like, they're just not ready. So I just wanted to give you a heads up. Like if, you know, if there's a way that they could basically steer clear of that, that would be awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking my child. Take care. Got it. I try not to say anything unless it's pretty like important for the parent to know, because I feel like I already enter the, the world of their 
the parents that I'm friends with who are the parents of right. my daughter's peers where they're like, I'm so sorry, you probably think this is awful, but which, you know, so I'm operating from a bad position. So if I then call them up and say, I just wanted you to know that it sounds worse coming from me. It sounds like I'm judging them. Um, so I typically say nothing unless, you know, one time I said something because I thought the parent would want to know that their kid was watching something that was, you know, really <laughs> teetering on porn. But anyway, what can we do to prepare them for things that you hadn't planned on? Because you weren't going to give them social media or you weren't going to have them go Google YouTube videos. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. I guess Something probably the most important thing is that you say to your child, if you see anything that makes you uncomfortable, then I want you to tell me about it. And, you know, there are going to be times where you might see something online that is a surprise to you that makes you feel uncomfortable that you kind of know inside you probably aren't old enough to be looking at. And this is what I expect you to do when that happens. So I do think it's a combination of like, I want to be clear that I do not, it's not okay for me that you're doing that. And I want to be told about it when, when that does happen as a source of support for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of a combination of, of, of restriction, but also, you know, here's what you do if this does happen. So let's say you are monitoring your child's social media and they have a DM chat or they posted something or they're just texting in a group and you see something where they've done something that was clearly hurtful or crossing the line for what you explained was acceptable for them when you offer them the freedom to have these tools. Yeah. I mean, again, I think the more that you can look at these situations through the lens of what you already know as a parent, instead of saying, oh, like what happens online with my kid is so vastly different than what happens offline. You're going to be much better off if you just see it as just an extension of what you're already doing well as a parent. So if you ask yourself, like, how do you tend to respond to your child when they make a mistake, fall short of an expectation offline? You know, what's your protocol for that? I can tell you what mine is. Um, Go for it. You know, if my kid screws up, first of all, I do try to calm down a little bit. Like I try to make sure I take a breath mm-hmm. and that I'm not operating from panic or fear or rage or whatever it is that I might that might guide me to react in a way that I'm not proud of. Mm-hmm. And then after I kind of take a moment for self-regulation, I then I'm really clear about like this is not okay, right? I define what has happened as inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And then I'll sometimes say why it's not okay. Like this is not okay because actually in our family, kindness matters more than anything. Or this is not okay because PS, if you treat people this way, you're not going to have a lot of friends. So to the extent that you can make it about your family's values, I think that's a really powerful moment for your kid just to hear like, Hey, you're on a team right now. Mm-hmm. And you're like, not rolling with the team. Like what you're doing is not, or you're off the reservation or whatever mm-hmm. metaphor you want to use. Mm-hmm. And so then once you've said this is not okay, I think there's a couple of choices. One is to cultivate empathy for the target. How do you think that person feels mm-hmm. that you just did that thing? And then another thing you then do is you've got to kind of talk about consequences. All right. So you did this once. Okay. Now I'm giving you the opportunity to learn that you can't do that again. Mm -hmm. And if you do, like there's going to be a consequence. So the same counts for how you're, you're just doing the same thing with what you're witnessing online. I think taking away the phone is something you do absolutely when there's misuse. 
Or it could be also like a significant restriction of access as well. I think like any active discipline, it really needs to be proportionate to the crime. Right. And so if a parent is operating from this real fear about social media and thinking that, you know, I've got to be draconian, I've got to like be the hammer here, that's not a great plan for a kid because then you're verging on authoritarian parenting, which isn't going to, which is basically going to create a kid that is afraid of you, that hides from you, right, that lies. So my philosophy about parenting wisely with social media is like you want your kid to be a little bit paranoid and a little bit scared of you, but not so paranoid and so scared that they start hiding and lying. Mm -hmm. And so the way you achieve that is that, sure, they should know that there will be a consequence if they make the wrong move, but they should also know that the consequence won't be so, like they won't be thrown in a dungeon for it. Right. It just, a heavy hand is not going to actually pay off. Some of the disciplinary actions that you can consider are things like, instead of saying no phone, you could say no Instagram, if your kid's really obsessed with Instagram, or just take the app off of their all, all of their devices for a day. I, I think it's fine to lose access for a day. I don't think it's the end of the world. I just think, keep in mind that they probably are using multiple platforms to right. perform the same functions. And so you take one, it's like a whack-a-mole and it pops up somewhere else. <laughs> and I also think don't be, don't hesitate to, to, you're allowed to say things as a parent, like, Hey, guess who pays for this phone? Like, guess who allows you to live yeah. your bougie life? Like, that's me. <laughs> like I am the, I am the person making that possible. Mm-hmm. And if you want me to pay for this phone, you're going to actually Respect. have to live by my rules. Absolutely. You're not living by my rules. And so I'm just going to let you know that you're like on notice. You're on probes, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just short probation. Thank In you. Case you didn't know. I- and so, cause abbreviating is fun. But like you have the authority as a parent. Also, like you don't have to take their phone away. You could just be like, there's something you want to do this weekend. Like you're not getting to do yeah, it. You can do the you same thing you would do in life. If you're messing yeah, with like, your social choices, it'll mess with your social life. Yeah. Like, but again, if if you're so draconian that your child just fears you, like that also doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So it, it, this is an art and it's there's no kind of straightforward solution for every type of situation. But I think if you follow some of the guidelines we're talking about, you're going to be okay. The point is though, you got to say no and you can't be a pushover. Like you're going to have to say no and set limits. I think what you're talking about, because it's so relevant to every kind of interaction you're going to have with your kids is that parenting style of just being clear that there are three overall parenting styles. And if you have the extreme on either end of permissive, where you're incredibly sensitive, but you're kind of a pushover and have trouble with boundaries, or you're authoritarian and scary and because I said so and have no trouble with boundaries but have trouble being sensitive, you're going to get a kid who's either incredibly rigid or incredibly rebellious. And if you can be authoritative and have sensitivity with boundaries, then you actually get the best from your children behavior-wise, emotionally. And that is, that's what, what you can use to guide you when you're figuring out what to do with social media or anything else. So really well said, but I have to amend something. I think you can be an authoritative parent and say, because I said so. Like, I'm a big fan of let's bring back because I said so. Um, well, then doesn't have to, I'm not saying like, I mean, we can totally argue about this. I just think like, I don't, I don't want to explain, nor do I have the time to explain like every decision I make. I'm like, I'm, we're going to do this because I'm your, I say I'm the boss. So like, when you I'm say the I'm the boss, you're having an authoritarian moment. 
doesn't make you an authoritarian parent, but you're definitely having an authoritarian moment. Those not so fresh authoritarian (laughs) moments. So let it just just to be clear, if if you want to make yourself feel better, it's just that you don't have to be always the perfect balance of you know, giving reasons and whatever to be authoritative. You just need to do it most of the time. I go, I go a little Cartman. You probably never watched South Park, but I bet some of your listeners did. And I'm like, respect my authority. That's a Cartman thing. I think it's really important to say that, that you can be generally authoritative and have moments of being a tyrant. Yeah, dude, I love my tyrant moments. They feel so good. And by the way, it doesn't count if you say, because I said so to your kids, if you've explained it 400 times before and you just don't have time for this. Okay, I'll I'll take that. That doesn't count. You've already explained it. Now, I want to ask you something that has come up and I actually have no idea. Sometimes I ask questions and I know the answer, but I'd like it to be an interesting conversation. And sometimes I ask questions because I, for the life of me, cannot figure it out. And... I get asked a lot about how you monitor the kinds of social media like Snapchat that disappears. And I have no idea. I mean, I think the answer is you don't. Right. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) The answer is you don't. I mean, you let go. You let go. Well, you let go. Well, let's take an analogous question. How do you deal with the fact that you give your kid keys to a car when they're of a certain age and they drive away? And other than the find my iPhone function, if your kid happens to have an iPhone, you have no idea where they are. That you is, don't know where they're going. What do you do? What do you tell yourself? What do you tell yourself, Eliza? Uh, you got to let go. You gave them the license. You let them and get what the does the license signify? What does that mean? That they're, they're ready. Licensed? They're ready to make those good decisions, and you just hope that you were right and that the that this is in fact an appropriate part of growing up. I mean, here's the thing. There is a bit of like a hack to this question, which is like. Can you pick up your kid's phone as you wish and actually um, just like absolutely spot check their Snapchat every once in a while? Well, sure. sure. But that's different because I think you can be explicit with your kids that, A, I pay for this. B, I respect your privacy. I am not going to read your diary. But things that are potentially public, I'm the least of your problems if I see it, truly. Like – who cares? I think that that's different than I'm not gonna. I would never sneak look at my kid's phone. She knows that I have sneak. access. Like, but actually, like, just saying to yeah. them, I have access at any point. I'm probably not going to use it most of the time unless I think I have to check in. But I have access, which I think is different than um, you know letting go. You don't have control over everything, mom, dad, whomever. You really right. have to trust them. And that's why I think. You have to, similar to giving your kid a driver's license, just ask yourself, what are the skills my kid needs to use an app like Snapchat? Like they do need to be able to have exercise a lot of careful judgment because Snapchat does give the user the appearance of not being responsible. Even though every kid knows that someone can take a screenshot of a Snapchat, meaning it sure it disappears, like away, right. but if you screenshot it before it disappears, then it lives on forever. I think it might be a good idea just to talk about the importance of saying no and setting limits because mm-hmm. I think social media is kind of a reckoning moment for a lot of parents where maybe they've gotten somewhat away with being lax or a little bit more flexible, but now comes the moment where you really have to hold the line. And so maybe, Lisa, you could talk a little bit about the importance of limit setting with kids. What is it that they benefit from? How do they benefit from limit setting even as they complain to us and tell us we're, you know, 
terrible and destroying their social lives by not giving them the access that so-and-so has? Why does it matter to say no for our kids? Well, we know that to make a resilient human being, you need two things. You need a supportive parent who gives you structure and boundaries. And you need to be able to experience stress and manage it. And if you experience stress from a no, every time you can't do something, you build your resilience. I'm not talking about toxic stress. I'm talking about I want to go to a party or I want to join, I want to be on Instagram right now or it's 10 o'clock at night and I don't, I want to leave my phone in my room versus in the, in the dock in the kitchen. And that causes you horrible stress and then parents panic because they've traumatized their kids. They haven't traumatized them. By, by setting a limit, you actually build resilience and learning how to accept no and understanding and believing that that no has value and has a reason and that your parents don't just arbitrarily give you boundaries, but they are thought out, that they're conscious about what things you can or cannot do, that they feel, you know, and then you grow. You 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 decide what their age is and what's developmentally appropriate, and you expand and expand those boundaries until they become adults. If you remove boundaries – children lose their grounding and they don't feel safe and secure. And it goes back to, you know, infancy even. You really need both. And and to what we were talking about before, you need to be both sensitive to your child's needs, what they need socially, whatever it is that they're talking about, and have boundaries that you feel confident in. And if you don't set those boundaries and that's the no that you're talking about because you're worried about their feelings – and you go against your own judgment, that just grows and grows and it gets worse. And it's only going to get more difficult as they become, you know, it's such a tricky thing because as they get more intelligent and competent and responsible, you want to let go of some boundaries, but it can feel like you can just, it's a free-for-all, but they need monitoring and they need support. They just need it to be autonomy supportive with structure. And what does autonomy supportive mean? That you understand that the parenting that you do is in fact going to propel them forward as an independent person with agency. And it's part of your choices in your parenting. So when they have a problem, you don't just fix it for them, but you talk them through the process of fix, you know, how you take on a challenge. And sometimes you even say, I bet you've got this. You, t- you know, like so that it's not always a long conversation with you about how to get through things. But so you're supporting their autonomy. And over time, they feel confident to be out in the world and make good decisions rather than look to you every time they have to make a decision. I mean, we have people that have real struggles with even making a decision at 30 years old. If somebody's making decisions for you because they're so controlling, that's also a problem. So it's a balance between giving you those boundaries and saying no and also being open and autonomy supportive about how much responsibility you can take on independently. And that goes back to, you know, what you're ready for. I think that's great. I think that's so helpful. And I never thought about it that way, that hearing the word no creates a certain amount of stress that makes you more resilient, that you have to adapt. I think that's so smart. And I've really never heard that before. Yeah. And I also just want to point out in a, I guess, a more sort of casual sense that like, <laughs> that's not, I'm like, let me just be like not academic at all. No, I think it's a real strength. I know. I'm like, let me just say things in my um, 16 year old voice, but I actually feel like it's not 
one of the hardest things about parenting is that some of the things your children most need from you will, they will never thank you for. Right. Like no one is going to be like, Hey mom, thanks so much for setting that limit and not letting me, you know, be online for 14 hours today. That was great for my development and Mm -hmm. growth of my resilience and like (laughs) self-regulation. No, they want to sell you. Like they're so mad at you. And so this is the thing about parenting is that it's, again, the things that they most need are going to be the things they thank us for if we're lucky 20 years from now. I also want to say, like, I've, I've told a lot of parents that I've worked with to consider, like, do you remember when you were growing up and there were certain things your parents made you do or wouldn't let you do that you remember being outraged about as a child, mm-hmm. but now feel grateful for, right? Now you're like, I'm really glad my parents wouldn't let me quit piano. And I'm, I'm really, really mad mine did. Le- mine were so permissive. Exactly. And I love them, but they let me quit piano. They let me quit tennis. They let me quit everything that as an adult, I'm like, God, I wish I could play tennis with everybody. But I told my parents I didn't like it, cried for two seconds. And they were like, all right, we don't want you to be uncomfortable. And that was terribly mean about my parents, who I love. But they were just trying to be sensitive. But when you're totally sensitive without those boundaries, you know, it, it's not it's not so ideal. But you're right. We don't get big thank yous. There was one other thing about that no and those boundaries that I wanted to say, which is when you're doing that autonomy, supportive parenting, the important thing, and you can start really early, is over time asking your children to help you come up with a plan for how to deal with this, including the discipline part. Like, what do you think should happen here? And what's your plan going forward? So there are participants in the process. So it's not really just you're you're just saying, here's how you're going to manage this. You do you use your computer too much. I'm putting timers on it and that's that. But it's actually let's let's talk about what time you actually need to use your social media or what time you need to be on your phone or check your phone and what feels reasonable at the end of the day to put it away. And let's work around that structure. And so and you could start that way before we talk about social media and phones, but in the context of this conversation, it's important to include them. Are you going to say yes to all their suggestions? No, but you want them to start thinking that way. And it feels good for them when they've come to that, to an agreement with you instead of being told like, here's exactly what you're going to do. Because it, it might, they might have an interesting solution. Like, who knows? They, they can be very, it, the more opportunities you get to come up with a plan, the better you are at planning. Should we Hi, have Lisa? Sh- I've really, I've really enjoyed this. I've really enjoyed this too. Yeah, I think we should do this again, right, Rachel? Uh, exactly. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Want to remind listeners if you would like to get in touch with me, I'm at rachelsimmons.com at rachel j simmons on the Instagram. Never, <laughs> never say the Instagram in front of your children. Is it, it the? Is it the Instagram? Is that what it is officially? No, it's not. I was just making a joke. It's um, on, I'm on Instagram. I'm very oh, so. serious, so I don't. I don't. Yeah, get not those gonna. Ones. Okay, I'm. I don't know if you guys can tell, but I'm like the funny one, and she's like more the dry intellectual one. <laughs> also on the Facebook, on the on the many platforms, um, would love to hear from you about what you thought about this episode. Also, if you have questions that we did not answer. Like yes. stuff we left out because I feel like this topic is so huge. We will come um, back to it. But yes, we would yeah, love for you questions. to ask your questions. And now for my show notes. 
Rachel and I realized that this discussion is the beginning of many, many discussions that we need to have and we'd love for you to join. So please remember to DM me on at Raising Good Humans podcast and let me know what you'd like to hear about. And we'll continue this conversation with Rachel. And please join me next week for a talk with children's book author of I'm Sad, I'm Bored, I'm Worried, among many others, comedian, actor, and writer Michael Ian Black. And also some tips from me on how to talk about big feelings like being sad or worried. See you next week.